0: Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You once again for the blessing of being able to assemble together and worship. We are or have lived uh, many years upon this earth. We do not have the strength of youth, We have various uh, pains and sicknesses due to age, and yet, our God, you have given us much. We're still able to go, we're still able to eat and enjoy food, to see, to hear, to enjoy fellowship. But more importantly, we have you. Thank you, our God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for abiding with us. Thank you that not only are you with us on the mountaintops, but when we go through the waters and through the fires, thou art there. And when we are like David and think that you have totally forsaken us, you're still the same God of yesterday and forever. We vacillate. But you do not change, and we thank you for that, our God. Now bless us as we continue to study your word and pray, our God, that we would do justice unto the Holy Scriptures. Pray that you would bless us to speak in such a way that it would be understandable And that you would, by the operation of your Holy Spirit, apply it to the hearts and to the souls of those who hear, that it might build them up, build us up in the most holy faith. Yes, we need your presence not only for those who here but for the speaker himself. As old Bunyan said, sometimes when we preach deliverance to the captives, we walk out of the pulpit as if we can still feel and hear the chains holding us in bondage. So we need to be fed as well and pray our God that you would see fit to do so. Again, we would be mindful, our God, to pray for those who rule over us, that they would rule over us for good and not for evil. And if they have evil designs, or if they're just totally ignorant of what is right, we pray, our God, that you would overrule in such a way that we might be blessed to ever lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For those who are, in the, have, are being baptized in the fires of afflictions, I ask that you would be with them. And if it would seem good in your sight, not only in this country, but in every country around the globe, you would bring a spirit of peace and and amenity in such a way that people would be getting along and not at each other's throats. Nevertheless, Thy will be done. In Jesus' name, Amen. We come back now to Galatians chapter 2, and I want to take up, but I want to read uh, verses 17, 18, and 19. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I want to speak a little bit about this dead to the law and yet to uh, bring in the benefits of the law in one sense. We don't want to think about being dead to the law in such a way that we are not responsible to keep the laws of God. Obviously, the ceremonial laws have been fulfilled. We don't kill goats and calves and heifers and things of that nature anymore. And there are some civil laws that were given to Israel that we don't uh, keep anymore. For example, if someone... uh, Kills uh, well. If some of the some of the punishments for sin, uh, we don't burn them at the stakes, and uh, well, they never did burn them at the stakes. But they burned them and stoned them in other ways of capital punishment. But the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and other uh, moral teachings throughout the scriptures we're still responsible to keep them when we're talking about being dead to the law throughout the book of galatians romans and other places as well we don't want to get the idea that we that some have taught and some still teach that we we don't have to worry about the law at all and We're not under the law, and so uh, we're not responsible to keep the law and things of that nature. We're still responsible to God as sinners. As far as our justification, the law has no bearing on us. But I I do want to look at a few verses of Scripture to show the importance of, of the law. The importance of uh, keeping the law. And let me say this lest I forget it. Though I think that we'll cover it later on. But the the law. Uh, well I forgot. Uh, uh, I lost what I was going to. To say, if, I, if, I, if it comes back to me, I'll get it, bring it back up. But, uh, well, I almost had it there for a minute. I'm not getting old. <laughs> I just got a lot on my mind. No, seriously. Let's look at this uh, regarding the law. First of all, Matthew 23. Matthew 23. I must be looking at the wrong I must have written down the the wrong passage because the verses don't match sometimes my fingers don't work like they ought to let's go to Matthew 12 Well, that one doesn't look right either. I don't know what I've done here. Let me try one other. Now that was Mark 12, I'm sorry. Mark 12, not Matthew 12. Verse 28, And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the parallel passage in Matthew would be uh, from this place here in Mark as well as in Luke chapter 10. But the, the point that I'm making, what Jesus gave here was a summary of the Ten Commandments. This is a summary. This is generally understood. I don't know of anyone that really disputes that, so I won't even try to uh, compound a lot of verses with regard to that. But what I'm wanting to show is that the the Scriptures are still in vogue. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, for example. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And by the way, while you're turning there, sometimes people ask me, uh, what do you mean by the law? What do you mean by the law? Well, there are like we say, sometimes it's talking about ceremonial law, sometimes civil law, sometimes the Ten Commandments, the moral laws and things of that nature. But in general, throughout the Bible, when it's talking about the law, if you would just say the Word of God, that will pretty well cover it. And like I said, there will be some exceptions to that. But either way, whether the civil law, ceremonial law, and whether some of it's been fulfilled and some of it hadn't is still God's word, the word of God. But in Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, verse four has been a. We're going to read a few verses down through after that, but. Verse 4 has always been a special verse to me since the early 70's particularly. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, If you were to look at that and read that from the, the, the Hebrew, you remember the word Lord always in capitals is the word Jehovah. And so what he's saying here, hear O Israel, Jehovah, our Elohim, and Elohim is God in plural. Hear O Israel, Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah one. You have the Trinity involved in that in that verse. But it it was always was special to me after I Learn that. But notice what is said here in verse 5, which is what our Lord said as we read in Mark. And these words which I, excuse me, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Let me pause there for just a moment. Now I know what I was going to say a few minutes ago. We who are Christians and have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God have the law in our hearts and we desire to obey and keep the law Not to get anything for doing so. We just do it because we love the Lord. And we love the law. You remember in Hebrews chapter 8, where it talked about that God has written the law in our minds and in our hearts. And you shall not teach every man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know Me from the least to the greatest. Well, if you're trying to keep the law in order to get some blessings or some benefit from God for doing so, then you're under works. You're under that law of works, that principle of works. And that's what the unregenerate would do. But God's children love the law and they desire to keep the law just simply because they love the Lord. It's like a, uh, a a a good marriage. The the spouse, whether it be the male or be the husband or whether it be the wife, they enjoy doing things for the other just simply because they love them. Not because they're trying to get something out of them or because they're trying to get some benefit. If you do that, then that's just selfishness. And so the Christian loves the law. He delights in the law. Even the law condemns him. And the law shows him his sins. It also, he loves the law because it's God's Word and God has given it to him. And it drives him to Christ. It drives him to Christ. As we'll see a little bit later in the third chapter somewhat. But for the wicked, for the ungodly, for the unregenerate, the law doesn't drive him to Christ. It drives him to Sinai to be condemned. But back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 6, in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Not in your head, but in your heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Oh, that we as parents could instill them in the hearts of our children. How often have parents diligently taught the Scriptures to their children for their children to disregard them and walk away from them and, and even despise them in later years. Nevertheless, we're still responsible to teach them diligently to thy children and to talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Too bad the children of Israel got the literalness, literalness of this but missed the spirit of it. They had little uh, boxes tied around their heads or tied onto uh, a, a string or something on their heads or under the, on, on their arms that had the Ten Commandments in it and so on. They carried that away, but they didn't have it in their hearts. They didn't have it in their hearts. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and on thy gates and so on. And, uh, and it and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which He sware unto thy fathers. And so on. Well, we won't go into all of that, but the whole point is we're to have the Word of God in our hearts. In our hearts. A lot of houses, a lot of people would have uh, verses of scriptures tacked up on the wall and things of that nature, but they don't have it in their hearts. Nothing wrong with having the Scriptures tacked up. But you can have that and still be under the law trying to gain points with God. No, the Christian doesn't keep the law in order to gain points with God. The Christian keeps the law and delights in the law because it is the Word of God. Like a child also who delights in obeying the parent Not because he's trying to get anything from the parent. He loves the parent. He just desires to please and to do things uh, that the parent desires him, him to do. It's like Joseph. Remember when Joseph was in Egypt and Potiphar's wife was trying to get him to go to bed with her? What did he say? How can I sin against God? How can I do this against God yes Potiphar yes uh Joseph had respect unto Potiphar, yes, Joseph really had respect unto Potiphar's wife, but ultimately it was how can I sin against God? and then also in Romans chapter uh, seven, we find. And we could multiply these verses. We just wanted to get a few verses here. But here in Romans chapter 7, notice what Paul said about the law. In verse 12. Wherefore, well, let me go back. Let's start in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy. And the commandment holy. And just and good. So even though we cannot be justified by the law. Even though the law condemns. Even though the law shows us our sinfulness. The law is still good the law is good and the law is not a terror to the the redeemed as we said to those who are not redeemed to those who are not justified those who are not born again and don't know the law is a terror to them but to us who love our Lord the law is not a terror we love it we delight in it. It's like a, a child who is properly disciplined and trained. When the parent uh, applies the discipline, what does the child normally do? Crawl up into the lap of the parent and hug the neck. We've noticed that. We've seen that time and time again with our little children. How that you would Discipline them, and next thing you know, they're they're right there in your lap. Well, the law condemns us, but as children of God, we love him and we love his law. We know it's good. And so, even though we're dead to the law, as it said here in uh, Galatians chapter two, verse nineteen. Even though we're dead to the law, that is we're dead to the law with regarding to our justification. But we live unto God. We live unto God not to keep the law in order to be saved. We do not keep the law in order to be justified. We do not keep the law in order to get benefits from God. We don't keep the law to keep from being spanked by God. Or disciplined by God. Though when we do break it, He does discipline those whom He loves. But we don't keep the law for those reasons. We keep the law because we love Him. And we love the Lord. We live. We live unto God. Too many people today in this world say, well, we don't have anything to do with the law. We just live under grace. And I can do whatever I want to. I'm under my Christian liberty. If I don't want to wear my shorts, if I want to wear my pants, if I want to wear this, if I want to do that, if I want to follow, just whatever I want to do, I'll do it. That's contrary to the Word of God. That's contrary to the Word of God. God's children desire to obey the Word of God, and to do what God's Word teaches, even what the law teaches. Next, I am crucified with Christ. That is, we are crucified judicially with Christ. We have to realize, obviously, obviously, we were not literally crucified with Christ. There were only two people that were literally crucified with Christ. And one of them was not even the Lord. It was the two thieves. We were, we're not crucified with Christ literally. But we're crucified with Christ judicially. Judicially. In other words, When Christ died for our sins, we died in Him. We died with Him. When Christ died, the elect died. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now I don't have any problem with the translators adding quickened in verse 1. But I do not believe that verse 1 is talking about being quickened in regeneration because of verse 5. Now we're going to read down to that and I want to show that to you. Now, I know that Ephesians 2.1 is often used uh, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin that God uh, regenerated us quickened us when we were dead in sins and that's true. That is true. But I don't think this verse is teaching it because of the context. And for that reason I want to read this and leave the you hath he quickened out. Because, as you know, that's in italics that was added by the translators. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Remember when we preached on But God several years ago? But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, now notice this, hath quickened us together with Christ. When was I when was Christ quickened? He wasn't regenerated, was he? He didn't need to be regenerated because he was sinless. So that the quickening when when Christ was quickened, this has nothing to do with regeneration. But when was he quickened? When he was raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead. And this quickened together is a Greek one Greek word. It's the word quicken with the preposition stuck to it, which means together with. So when we we were quickened Together with Christ. When Christ was quickened, we were quickened. In other words, when Christ was raised from the dead, judicially, legally, we came out of the grave with Him. That's what we're talking about here. When when Paul said in Galatians 3.20 that we were crucified with Christ. We were not killed when Christ was killed. Our flesh was not destroyed when Christ died. Our flesh was not destroyed when we were regenerated. We still have this sinful body, don't we? We still continually fight against sin. First John tells us that if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. We have sin. We don't live in sin, but we have sin. But when Christ was quickened, excuse me, when Christ was crucified, we were crucified. We were crucified judicially. He died for our sins. God put put, uh, His wrath upon Christ for our sins. Christ died in our place. He judicially paid our sin debt. He legally paid our sin debt. So when we were crucified with Christ, that's when He was crucified and God looked at us in Christ as our surety, as we mentioned this morning. And when he came up out of the grave, we were quickened together with him. Judicially. Someday, thanks be unto God, someday our bodies are going to be resurrected. And as John said, we don't know what we shall be, but we're going to be like him. Someday we're going to have a glorified body just like He does. Someday we're going to have a a, a spirit like He has. Someday we're going to be... I just can't wait for it. (laughs) It's too good to be true, seems like. But now I am already quickened with Him. That is, judicially, in the mind and in the purpose of God, that has already taken place because we were quickened with Him. That's what He's talking about being crucified together with Him. Look in Romans 6. See, you must keep this in mind because if you don't keep it in mind, you'll think, you know I ought to be a lot better than I am. I shouldn't be so, I shouldn't be a sinner if I'm really a child of God, why am I so sinful as I am? Well you still have this sinful body, but when it talks about being quickened and crucified with Christ, that's judicially we haven't done, we haven't received that experimentally yet Experimentally someday I'm going to have a glorified body, but I don't have it yet. And Paul is teaching this same thing in Romans chapter 6. Now if we had the time, we would look at the whole chapter, but we don't have the time to do that. We'll do some picking and choosing again. Verse 6, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. That's true that we should not serve sin. And it is true that uh, we should live under Christ. But when it says our old man is crucified with Him. That's judicially. That's judicially. That's judicially. See, if you're not careful, you'll think, well, I ought to be be more sinless. Well, lest you misunderstand me, it is true that you ought to be less sinful than you are. It is true you ought to be uh, more righteous. And we all ought to be that. No question about that. But Paul is talking about here judicial. A judicial crucifixion. In verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. How are we dead with Christ? Judicially. Legally. Not experimentally. Experimentally we are made alive unto Christ. Verse eleven. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, Well I ought to be dead to sin. That means I shouldn't sin shouldn't bother me. Well sin bothers you, doesn't it? it bothers me. Bothers you, bothers everybody else. Well, what does it mean here that we we should reckon ourselves dead to sin? Dead judicially. Dead to sin in the person and the work of Christ. Alright? Verse 18. Being then made free from sin... You became the servants of righteousness. How am I free from sin? Judicially. Legally. If I were experimentally free from sin, I wouldn't sin. You see, if you don't understand this judicial work of God and the judicial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you read Romans 6, you'll think, well, I must not be a child of God. Because I still have sin. I'm not dead to sin. You know, you think you ought to be better than what you are. No, the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is that legal work that Christ did in our room and in our stead. Verse 20. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Verse 22. But now, being made free from sin, ye become servants to God. Ye have your fruits unto holiness and the end everlasting life. How are we free from sin? Judicially. Judicially. Yes, we're servants, but we're still sinful. While we are justified, we're still sinners. But legally, all of our sins have been done away by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Every child of grace has this struggle. And if preachers would... uh, preach more of what God has done instead of what man ought to do, Uh, you would have more people serving God out of a joy instead of out of a um, a mere works righteousness of trying to be justified with God. Colossians 2.20 Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ... From the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Even though he's trying to get them to live more righteously, and so on and so forth, he's talking about being dead with Christ judicially, judicially. Colossians three, verse three: For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Well, I'm not physically dead, am I? And I'm not dead to sin, am I? I'm still a sinner. But judicially, judicially, I am dead. And my and my life is hid with Christ in God. Second Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. How are we now dead with Him? We're dead with Him judicially. I wasn't put in the grave when He was. But I judicially, legally constituted, I was put in the grave with Him. And we read this morning that Christ was our surety, that He was always our surety, and we were in Him. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse twenty four, who his own self bare our sins in his own in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, am I dead to sins, judicially, judicially. So when you read those verses, other verses that I haven't read. When you read statements like this, we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Even though we're, we're dead judicially, in other words, we should live a righteous and a holy life because of what Christ has done for us. Not in order to try to get Christ to like us, not in order for Christ to like us more. Not in order for Christ to die for us. But simply out of a love and a devotion and appreciation for what He has done, that we are judicially dead. The law cannot hang over us and condemn us because He has paid the debt for us. The next two verses, Lord willing, we'll take up again next Lord's Day. And some of this is going to be kindly uh, reiterating what we've already said this morning and somewhat this afternoon. But since uh, the Lord, through the inspiration, through the, uh, I mean, since Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God wrote this, We want to talk more about what it is to live a life of faith. To live a life of faith. Beloved, realize and know that you are a sinner. But realize and know that judicially the law has nothing that it can hold against you because Christ fulfilled the law to a jot and a tittle on your behalf. And for every sin that you've ever committed, He also paid the sin debt when He died on the cross. The law is dead to me. The law is dead to me, judicially. Though we still love the law, the law is good. We desire to uh, fulfill it, not in order to get brownie points with God. Not in order to get favor with God, but because we already have favor with Him in the legal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the freedom and the joy in the justifying righteousness. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us our God. From being. Legalistic. And that is. True legalism is. Trying to earn favor with you. Help us to. Delight. In your law. And we enjoy keeping your law. And want to do right want to do exactly what Your Word tells us, not in order to try to put somebody else down or make ourselves look good, just simply because we love You, because You have paid the sin debt. And the law has nothing to do with us as far as our justification. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.